Welcome to Bob and Marion today. Nice to both be here. Nice Morning, to be Jim. here. Last a couple of days, I've been uh, reading a book by Noam Chomsky, who is not an author that I read a whole lot, but uh, it's interesting. And One of the more provocative modern thinkers. I think we can say that with, mm -hmm. some, with some safety. And uh, what the chapter I was reading last night really got me to thinking. He was talking about the development of uh, the American Constitution. And he was talking about the role that uh, James Madison had played in that. And that uh, uh, Madison's concept, and then he went on to talk about how it applied to, to the American Constitution, but also to uh, governments in other parts of the world and so on. And there's some applications here in Canada. But he talked about Madison's idea that, the, that democracy, the role of democracy was to provide protection for what he referred to as the opulent minority from the uh, from the less uh, favored majority and that in his mind that was the true role of democracy was to protect the rich from the poor that all things being equal if power were be to be removed from the rich if if the fact that you controlled the economy was uh, allowed to be separated from your control of the military or of the police functions in a in a society his concern and contention was that the poor would and if, um, as a matter of course, would rise up and, and take everything away from the rich. And he saw democracy as providing not protection for disparate minorities within the body politic, but for that particular minority. And any protections it had to provide for any other minorities kind of were, well, that's nice and, and you know, that's okay. That's not what we're setting out to do. Now, as the U.S. Constitution was drafted, other people weighed in with other opinions and other thoughts, and it, uh, it developed into an instrument that does, at least in theory, provide protection for most minorities, whether you're opulent or not. Um, but uh, Chomsky was making the point that that Madisonian, as he referred to it, uh, attitude towards government still prevails in many countries around the world and in many political movements around the world. And I wanted to ask uh, my two guests this morning, because they are both keen students of, of politics, um, what you think of the state of our democracy today in this country? Have, has it uh, evolved to a position where many people think where it, it, it really is providing protection for this opulent minority at the expense of, uh, of the downtrodden? Or are we somewhere else on the political continuum? And Marianne, I'll ask you first. What do I, you think, make of that? I think we're a little schizophrenic about it, to be quite frankly. I think we're split on it. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, there's no question, particularly since the... Uh, uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms came into into effect. Uh, that uh, there are uh, there is more protection for the rights of 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 those who have not been recognized as having rights in our society before. Mm -hmm. uh, but on the other hand, if 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 one were to look at our society now, look at who has controlled our federal government in particular over a long period of time. Um, there would be a lot of chords struck with people about uh, governments, in fact, doing exactly that. Mm -hmm. When you see the download of taxation onto regressive taxes that pay no attention to people's ability to pay, when you see the movement to a flat tax, for example, that the Reform Party or the Crap Party or whatever it's called now are, are, are bringing forward, uh, that tends to reinforce the sense for those who are in, in the majority in numbers that they have very little say in what goes on in our society. Bob? I would say that democracy exists in just about every country in the world and that democracy can be just about anything you want it to be. 
um, generally, some and, and two, two people using the word democracy might mean two totally different things by it. Whenever I talk about democracy, as do a lot of people, we mean freedom. Mm-hmm. We mean the right to self-rule, the right to choose our own destiny without someone else telling us what that, that, that they have the right to tell us what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that the left and the more collectivist and group-oriented uh, gr- groups are into majority rule as democracy. And that to them, that's that's what democracy is all about, 51%. They, they can rule the other 49%. Mm-hmm. I personally don't think anyone has a right to rule anyone. But it uh, brings to mind the comment by Maude Barlow during the uh, World Trade Organization riots. And she said a wonderful thing happened. Democracy broke out, you know, all these riots in the streets and the windows being broken. And that's what some people think democracy is all about. Well, of so, course, the people like Maude Barlow are one of, the, uh, one of the problems because she somehow thinks that you can step outside of the political system and be a critic of it. There are more and more people who think that um, they, they can exercise more, more power uh, by not voting like none of the above, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by not joining political parties and ensuring that the, that the focus of, of the party of their choice follows the, the needs that they have and then make an effort to get that party nominated and, 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 and elected and so on. But working sort of outside the system, we're seeing a lot more of that. Uh, we've seen uh, that uh, surprising move on the part of labor unions, uh, some labor unions uh, over the last few years of stepping outside of those and trying to influence in exactly the same way that uh, lobbyists have tried to influence mm-hmm. and so on. So you have to look at, at, at where, um, where undemocratic pressure groups focus from both those who are coming supposedly from the left and those who come from the right. Um, and, and one of the things that worries me about Bob's vision of, of uh, society is that it, it really is based on that every every man for himself, every person for him or herself, uh, as opposed to looking at us as having... Uh, what did I say a, to give you that impression? That you didn't believe that anybody should rule over anybody else, and that collectivists thought that you should rule well, so, uh, so for, the, for the good of the community rather than the good of the individual. Between you uh, and absolutely. me, which one of us has the right to rule over the other? No, and on what I would basis say, would that I would be made? Say, I would say either of us, if we were elected as as a majority government in a democracy, in a democracy. Okay, so I'm elected. I can tell you to do anything I want. If you I are, want you to if do. you are, well, no, because I wouldn't elect you if you. Well, were. suppose other people elected me. Yeah, but if you're elected alone, as opposed <laughs> to a majority government, in order to get a majority government, when you've got a large plurality of people, you have to put forward programs that attract people and that they vote for that group and then there's an obligation that is honored sometimes in the breach by some of those folks but to more or less follow that program and to See, the to process recognize. you're describing is what destroys every democracy and i've i've studied democracy at depth we, we have a huge part of our website uh, online that, that's devoted to this and we titled it can we survive democracy because what happens when you have a uh, a mixed economy and you've got groups fighting with each other each one is trying to get assets out of the other one that's what all politics is about I think Mark Twain once said democracy is the art of uh, robbing from Peter to give to Paul and that's all it's about and you just hope that you have more Pauls than you have Peters and uh, unfortunately that's an uh, uh, I would call that anarchy and some people call it democracy and I think that what you've described is what I would say is scary the idea that if somebody elected me that I could violate their rights. And well, but isn't that what you can't violate their rights. Now, just a minute. 
Nobody talked about violating their rights as they well, have I, I been set down. I asked you if down. I could do anything. And like, I don't like think to I me, answered. Raising could your taxes you do would be violating your well, rights. Well, I understand that, but you're 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 so extreme on this situation that you, frankly, Bob, you're not speaking to most of the people. Most people may have criticisms of how a democratic government is actually working on their behalf, but I think most people are very frightened of your your contention that it 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 really should be a situation of 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 no uh, no ability to to um, express communal values and to to create uh, the boundaries of of, What's the communal of, our, of our individual you're rights. Talk, you're talking pie in the sky things that do not exist in reality. Uh, you know, a community you don't think is only. A, you don't I think, think a communal, communal value is we don't want people starving in the streets. A community is any given number of individuals. Well, then then, okay. you, can, then you can have communal you values, can't say, you? Okay, what's our community value on, say, the, the issue of abortion? What's our value? You can, if you do a poll, you'll find the public split 50-50. Well, what's our okay. community value so on what, people what starving in the streets, though? We don't have though. a law on it. People well, make that, their that, own decision. Exactly. So if we had... You just, you just got hoist by your own petard No, right I'm there. saying that we shouldn't make any laws and that each side has, should be able to practice what they, what and they believe in. And when it's 50-50, that's what happens. So, so in order to have my freedom, I got to make sure that at least fifty percent of the people agree with me. Otherwise, I'm not entitled to my basic well, rights. No. Like, like how high should taxes be allowed? Like they're at fifty some odd percent now. Is sixty percent uh, still legitimate? Seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred? At what point these, would these I be days, called no, a slave? No government would be elected if they went if they went uh, to sixty, seventy, or eighty, or ninety percent. Sure, they would. They get, they get elected in Europe because people still think no. they're getting more out of the system than they have to put into it. Well, they it. could well, get elected no, here, and once they were elected, there's nothing we can do about it. We look at our liberal government, there's a story in the papers today about the liberal government having put the clamps down on the Freedom of Information Act, that people who are looking for financial audits of particular departments, apparently a memo went out saying that, uh, that uh, this information is not to be released until the government has had a chance to review it and essentially put the proper spin on it, and if they couldn't we do that, it wouldn't go at all. We should all be concerned about that, Jim. Indeed, indeed, we should. Absolutely. But this is not the point that this is a government, whether there was liberal, conservative, or NDP, any government, any sitting government in our system has the ability to do that, at least in the short term. And they've got to face election probably in the fall, and every time they pull one of these moves, they knock another another uh, foundation stone out of their support. And yet the polls say that they'd, they'd win, if there were an election today, they'd win hands down. There was another mm -hmm. report this morning that said, doesn't matter whether Martin or Kretchen leads the Liberals, right. they win again. That, that, that's often the case before you actually get into an election. So does People, that invalidate all your opinions, you go along, because most, no? most of the public disagrees? Pardon? Well, because that's what you're always telling me, that when I point out a point and that very few people agree with me, that disqualifies my argument. Does the same hold true of you if, if a poll shows that most of the people disagree with your point of view? No, my job is to try and convince most of the people to agree with me, because I believe in a democracy where people get to vote, and they will vote for a position that they agree with. And if they don't agree with my position, then I don't win, and that's exactly what happens. Well, I, I don't understand you know, what I don't, you find I don't, extreme I don't in my that. point of view. What, what is so extreme about having individual rights and being because and, and self-rule and self-responsibility? You don't accept the fact that when a majority votes a way that you don't like, that, that somehow uh, that's okay. You, you think no, that's it, wrong. It's, you it, think that, that it, doesn't work for you. If a majority votes on, on uh, you see, what we're doing today is we're voting politicians in f to, to serve our interests. Whereas in a free democracy, the only reason you vote for someone is to represent your rights, to make sure that the rights that are already guaranteed you
stay that way mm -hmm. and that the government does not encroach on them. But what has happened, we've replaced rights with interest. That's why we've, we've become regional. You've got Quebec fighting in one part we've of the country. We've always been regional in well, this country. Well, the country was founded on, but it's an improper principle. It's not one that will keep a country together. And as much as you might like the idea, it ain't going to happen. I mean, there are, there are rules to nature and there are rules to human behavior and there are rules to, to collectivism and individualism that history has repeated over and over and over and over again. And yet we repeat the same mistake because generally everybody wants something at someone else's expense. And that's what we use democracy yeah, for. That is it's the become the instrument of coercion to get what you want so that you don't have to be responsible for it. I don't believe that that's true at all. In fact, I think in, in a democratic society, uh, one, of the, one of the issues is helping people to understand that they do have responsibilities. That when they vote a government in, they can't then blame the government they voted in. They have some responsibility in that. We share some responsibility. Even if we ourselves have not voted for that government, when we know that a majority of our, our fellow citizens have done that, then we, 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 if, if you accept representative democracy and you, you believe it's an important uh, element, then you don't say, well, I didn't vote for them, and therefore I'm not going to follow what they said. I may not like a lot of the things the current didn't federal you just government say your does job or the was current to provincial government people does. Otherwise? I mean, yes, so, I convince so, uh, them to vote the next that, huh? time a different way. I don't say I, I have I can't I shouldn't have to follow the laws that they put in place. Well, I, I fight against either. them, I work against them, and I wait till the next election to try and convince people to vote a different way. That, that's what representative yeah. democracy. What about what about us. people whose contention is that my vote doesn't matter because and we'll use your your last outing, Marianne, in 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 London North Centre, where far more people voted uh, for candidates other than the winning candidate than the votes the winning candidate guy. You take your your votes and yep. Clancy's votes together, yep. and Cunningham wasn't even in the same ballpark. Yep. What do we say to people who say, well, you know, I voted in that election? And, uh, and more people agreed with me that they didn't want that candidate than said we did want that candidate, but that candidate got elected. Well, I think Bob and I have both shared with you and, and, the, and the, the, the listeners that we both think it's time in, in Canada uh, for people to begin to look at, at proportional representation. It's a, it's a big issue. There are many different ways to have proportional representation. And uh, Bob and I probably will find at the end of the day that we're talking about a different model when we talk about it. But we, we have a three-party system. First past the post, 51%. Actually, we have three parties, but a two-party system, well, <laughs> which is why we, we have to change it. Well, that hasn't been true in Ontario, but, and it hasn't been true in lots of the provinces, actually, Bob. So you're not, you're not federally. Uh, we have we have a five-party system that is really a two-party system right now. No, but, to, but, but in order to, to get the traditional 50% plus, it would always work with a two-party system. That's what I mean when we say we have a two-party system. And that was exactly system. what I was about to say. Right. When you have a first-past-the-post kind of a situation without without any account for the, 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 the numbers of popular voters who voted against the first-past-the-post, then you do have a growing sense of discomfort among people that their vote doesn't count. We're seeing that with mm -hmm. the lower turnouts at, mm -hmm. at, at, at the polls. We're seeing it with a very low number of people who, who belong to parties, period. I mean, very few Canadians actually belong to a political party. And so I think it's time. I mean, democracy is, is an evolutionary thing. When we talk about Madison and who should, how, who, who should be supported by this, in Madison's day, very few people had the vote. He mm -hmm. certainly wasn't talking about slaves having the vote. No. He certainly wasn't talking about women having the vote. Mm -hmm. And even the suffragettes, when they, when they fought for women's votes, they weren't talking about all women. 
they were talking about women who were who who had some status who mm-hmm. owned property, who owned property and, property, and so on yeah. i mean and we have to remember that that's been an evolutionary process it's time for that evolutionary process to go on and it seems to me it's in the interest of all of us to really enter into a serious discussion about how we can make our democratic system more relevant to to people because i think we are in danger of of losing that that democratic support on that note we'll pause for a moment the lines are open at 643-1290 star 1290 on the rogers at&t cellular network if you'd like to join our discussion this morning with marion boyd and bob mitch you're always welcome and we'll be back to take your calls on 1290 cjbk marion boyd and bob Metz with us today on this edition of left right and center we go to the phones and john has been waiting hello john oh good morning sir uh, i'd like to put two comments that i have before me with regards to democracy uh-huh. and ask their opinion the first one is by john simon Democracy encourages the majority to decide things about which the majority is blissfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. And the second one is, democracy is a process by which the people are free to choose the person who will get the blame. <laughs> a little cynical this morning, John. <laughs> well, you know what a cynic is, don't you? What's that? person who's listened to too many optimists yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways as far as democracy i often think of um oh, uh, charles wagner when he wrote about the confidence of the people as far as his government was concerned uh, and he, he put it like this that the capital of any nation or government was the confidence of the people and nothing would equal this confidence unless it be their mistrust when once they find themselves being misled and made game of mm-hmm doors which stood open accompanied with good humor become impassable fronts of wood and ears once attentive death and the danger is that we may close our eyes and our ears not only to the guile but also to the truth and i think history is sort of uh, how shall we say i think this is becoming evident but i'll leave you with what uh, voltaire said divide to rule so when the people reason for themselves, all will be lost to that company of men who would rule. Anyway, just a thought for the dead. Thanks, John. I'll let you go. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye. We don't often get quotes from Voltaire on the program, but I think it raises the uh, raises the intellectual <laughs> level just a little bit when John does that. Well, it tells you that every era, though, has thought about these mm-hmm. things and... Uh, that there are many, many different opinions that have, have, have come forward and that there's nothing wrong with people questioning whether the current system is working well for them and looking at how to make it better. What about the issue d- John raises, and it's raised with some regularity, about uh, um, an ill-informed or uninformed electorate. And I get some flack every time there's an election because I go on the air and say, if you don't know what the issues are, stay home. And there are some people who think it's very inappropriate for me to do that, and that's fine. That's their opinion. I have mine. I'm very concerned about an uninformed electorate, and yet we, we seem to have in our society a predisposition to encourage people to vote however ill-informed they may be. It's get out and vote, get out and vote, get out and vote. It's built into the system because of what we do. We... I cannot possibly be informed enough to tell you how to run the medical care system. I do, I'm not a doctor that works with a patient every day. I don't know what their needs are, and if I have to understand the daily workings of a, what a doctor does, I might as well be one. And the same applies to teachers, and the same applies to social workers, and to all the things that government funds. No person can be an expert in all those areas. The only thing that politics concerns itself with is is extracting money from the taxpayer and handing it over to those people they think deserve the money. That's the only thing that a, that a government can do that a private agency or you and I couldn't legally do because we'd be uh, 
put so in jail. Are you <laughs> suggesting then that all we need to know about the potential candidate is where their what their position is on taxation? Not necessarily. No, you got to know about government. That's what that's what they should know about is the nature of government. And and uh, when I first got involved in politics, I have to confess I was totally ignorant. Uh, the first time I became a candidate was federally back in the seventies. I ran for a party I'd never heard of on the Friday before the Monday that I uh, I registered, and that was the Libertarian Party. And um, I thought, I considered myself absolutely ignorant. I did not know what a left-winger was, what a right-winger was. I had no idea what these terms meant. So I went in cold. And uh, what scared the heck out of me is that everybody else knew less than I did. And these were the people that were running. And I, I started thinking, whoa, something's seriously wrong here. And then what are what is everybody voting for? What do they think they're getting? Because really, if you examine the democratic process, you really don't have any power at all unless you vote with and for the winner. That's the only time your vote counts. If you vote for a loser, whether it comes in second, third, or last, your vote is as meaningful as, as nobody's, you know? And that's basically the way it works. Um, but again, people are still voting and expecting things out of government that governments were not instituted to do, certainly not in a free society. And I think before you even talk about democracy, you have to decide, do I want to live in a free society or do I want to live in a state control society? Because those are our two choices. And if we make any choice in between, we'll end up at the state control. It's just never been well, I'm not an exception so, to that rule. I'm not so sure I want to live in a free society. Maybe you don't. A lot of people don't. I, I certainly I, don't. I realize that. Because I, freedom I, means responsibility. No, and, I don't and, mind the responsibility. And, I, but but free when 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 it it it's every person for him or herself. That's not what and, freedom means. Oh yeah, sure it is. No, it doesn't. Oh, what, what everything you, you think, describe. Do you think that when that? you think a free society is a lawless society? I would suggest quite the opposite. I would say law would be far more strict in a free society because everyone's actions is limited by the freedom of their neighbor. Your, your freedom ends where not my nose begins, so to speak, although in politics that translates into property. Well, you property used the right. term anarchy before, and boy, I don't know. I, I mean, you're, you're talking in that old Hobbesian vision that I think is uh, quite brutish. What's that? You don't believe in the right to property? Of everybody, everybody being there strictly to protect what is theirs and not caring about protecting. You, no, if you have the right to protect what you own, then you can care all you want about other people and other things. But that's not the issue here. The issue is, do you or do I have a right to take what someone else owns because I, I see a third party or myself in some need of some sort that I think is legitimate? Uh, does that justify you know, changing the rules. Or well, how are you going to prevent that happening if you're, yeah. in a, if you're in a free society where each individual is a, is a sovereign individual? Well, in a free society, you have courts, you have the police, you have the military. And who, who, and who tells them what, what the law is? And, and well, how to that's why you have a government. The government makes those laws to ensure that private and property rights are respected. Elected? Democratically. I'm talking about a free democracy. As I said, before you talk democracy, you decide whether you want to live in a free society or an unfree society. And if you want to live in a free society, then there are certain rules. You, you have to limit the democracy. Well, there have always... Just because a majority of people want to uh, eliminate, say, a racial group out of society, that doesn't give them the right to do it. No, well, there have always been fringe political groups who take this extreme position. And the reason they remain fringe is that the majority of people... Name one. ...given Freedom Party. Name another. The libertarians. Name another. Well, I would, say, I would say social credit. Absolutely. No. No, I would say social credit, different. and I would see they, see their uh, inheritors, the, the reform, eventually. 
being in much the same situation. I think people have had those options and they have rejected them. And we have said on this, this, this uh, show before that the values of Canadians tend to be in that, in that middle area of reasonable. Uh, they haven't reasonable had the options, Marion. Our very democracy does not allow those options because the government and political parties in power make the electoral system so that libertarian type parties we are the ones that are being smeared. We're the ones that are being labeled racist. That anything that's for, you know got to do with oh, that's what happened to York Hater. I you know? should have mentioned the, uh, the left side of the screen because that's the same thing on the left. The Communist Party, the the uh, uh, the uh, what's what's the other one? It's a social social justice party. Mm -hmm. There was one. But they've time. already the got women's they've already got party. the NDP and Liberals to put their policies into place. You know, I remember the first time I ran in a, in the federal election, the Communist Party candidate I remember was a girl named Susan Bland. And she was just screaming, make the rich pay, make the rich pay. And then I was listening to the NDP and the Liberal. They were basically saying the same thing, only in a different way. And they believed in, uh, you know, progressive taxation, higher rates for the rich, uh, higher corporate taxes, all these kinds of things. And I'm thinking, well, what makes that different from what, what the Communist Party member is saying? And there wasn't really any difference. Well, sure there is, because in, it, it, it's the difference between totalitarianism and democracy. In, in a democratic situation, you, 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 what you do is you're, you're very frank and clear about how you would go about it and how you would try and balance the interests of all the people. Part of what is, has, has been possible for us in terms of, of building governments in, in the Western world has been a, a clear desire on the part of people for us to try and achieve some kind of balance. Do you, do you not believe that government should have a limit? Is, is there no limit on government? Of course there are limits on where, government. Where, where would you place it? Our constitution gives limits on government, very clear limits on government. Well, where would you place it? What would be the, what would be the limit on government? How far can it go? How much of our taxes can it take? And, and how much of our property can it expropriate? How much of our lives can it, can it, can it tell us what to do and what not to do? Well, how much censorship should be allowed? Some of that's law and some of that's politics. Politics is one limitation and law is another. We have to leave it on that note, but we will continue our discussion. I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, the news is up with Tara Chloe. We will be back with more Left, Right, and Center with Marion and, and Bob right after this. Tara, take it away. Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Marion Boyd today. Jim Chapman here with you, and the lines are open at 643-1290, star-1290 on the Rogers AT&T if you care to join us. I want to come back, if I can, to where we were a little bit earlier, talking about informed voters and so on. Uh, and there has always been a concern um, from back to the beginning of our discussion today, which was back to the... Uh, framing of the American Constitution when they were talking about uh, majorities as being frightening things, uninformed majorities as being frightening things. John, our caller, made a reference to, uh, to a mass of people that, uh, that don't perhaps entirely understand the issues. Where should we... Well, let me back this up. What should we be doing if we are concerned about that issue? Uh, what, what do we tell people who come to us and say, as happens at every election, I'm sure it happens to all three of us here and maybe to many of you listening, people will come and say, I'm not sure how to vote, what do you think? How should I vote? Is our responsibility to share our beliefs with them? Is our responsibility to try to educate them to the process a little more? Or, or should we do as, quite frankly, I usually do, is say, I'm not, I'm not equipped to tell you that. You have to make that decision for yourself. Well, that, you know, the whole issue of, of information is, is, a, is a pretty crucial one because um, it's, un unless people work hard to find a, a balanced information source these days about politics, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, uh, that's the reality of monopolistic uh, um, uh, media. 
I mean, basically. And I think part of the problem is when you get monopolistic media, people also get bored because they keep getting the same line and they get kind of tired of mm -hmm. it. They don't, they, 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 so they kind of click off. I mean, one of the things in the American uh, Constitution, one of the things that it anticipated was the kind of uh, town hall meeting style at the local level. Mm -hmm. And uh, to a large extent, uh, that, has, that has gone by the wayside unless individual politicians make a commitment to their electorates and have those meetings mm -hmm. consistently. Um, I, there are some people who simply aren't interested, and it wouldn't matter how much information was around. They would never, they would never uh, read it anyway, mm -hmm. and then would complain they didn't have enough information. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it would be better. I personally think it would be better if the information that is sent by candidates um, were a little clearer to people, uh, not quite as highly politicized or as highly partisan as it is, but really very clear about what, what the issues there are. Mary, are you saying you want to take the politics out of politics? I think it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's all subjective, and, and if somebody wants an objective understanding of politics, they shouldn't be going to political parties. They should study philosophy, because that's, you know, politics is just the fourth branch of philosophy, and that everything that runs politically has metaphysical and, and ethical concerns under it. Uh, like I might be a, a, a voter sitting in a crowd and I hear one candidate say, yeah, I'm going to give a million, I'm going to spend a million dollars more on the medical health system. And the other one says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to open up the private clinics. So as an informed voter, who do I vote for between those two choices? Even if I agree with the guy who's going to open the private clinics, I might decide, well, he hasn't got a chance of getting elected even though he's got all the right ideas. So right away, my mind switches back to the first-past-the-post system. Who's going to likely win, and who's the guy I'm least afraid of? So I'm going to vote for a package I probably won't agree with anyway. And then when I, you know, when, when government takes its shape and carries on with business as usual, you know, Mary says we have no, no right to complain if we voted. Well, sure we do. That, that's all we do is complain. No, no, I didn't, a, I didn't say we didn't have a right to complain. You can't blame the government if you voted for them. That's what you said. I wrote it down. I said you can't blame, blame the government if you voted for the policy that you're then subsequently blaming them for. I don't believe you can. Oh, if you're talking on a specific policy, um, I would agree, unless they didn't carry it out the way yeah. you expected. Yeah. That was but, what I was... But people don't vote for policies. They vote for a complete package. And well, that's all you get in a political you know, actually, situation. And you only get to vote once I every really five disagree years. With you. I want to really disagree with you, because I think a bigger threat to democracy is that people vote for single issues. I think that's oh, the I biggest agree. threat. I mean, and our party is often the recipients of those votes mm -hmm. on a single issue, and I still think that's a big problem. I constantly say to my party, never accept a candidate who is a single issue person because they can't do the range of things that you have to do, and they can't think through the problems. Um, and I think the same is true of single issue parties, that we have to be very, very clear. There's a whole lot of other things that governments do that don't necessarily focus on the single idea that sells the party. And um, when, when somebody, I can't remember which of you said something about how do we know. Well, one of the things that, that we, we need to do is also reinforce the, the, the sort of local credibility of the person. Does the person understand? Can the person answer the question? You talked about being in a debate with fellow candidates back in the mm -hmm. 70s and being appalled that you knew more than they apparently knew. I've been in that position. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have run against some candidates that know nothing. I have run against other candidates who are, are impeccable in terms of the, the work that they've done in, in looking at the issues and very clear about stating where they are. There's a real range. And I guess if I were to say, I mean, you know, in the feminist movement, they used to say, vote for a woman, it's always a better thing. And I used to say, no, 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 no. 
vote for the person who actually seems to understand the issues and has some idea about how to solve some of the problems. Mm. And, and, and those candidates don't always win in a first-past-the-post. But the option has been there. If the electorate didn't choose it, that's what democracy is about. Let's go back to the phones where Ian is waiting to join us. Uh, good morning, Ian. Good morning, Jim. Uh, what I wanted to ask your guests was, in every poll ever taken, uh, Canadians are in favor of the death penalty. And the politicians will not let us have it. And sometimes uh, it's as high as 75 or 80 percent. I'd like to ask your guests to comment on that, please. Yeah. Um, also, it's true that if uh, it's not the death penalty they support, it's capital punishment. Mm -hmm. Actually, when the word death penalty is used, it, no, drops, they don't to, support it. it drops to less than 50 percent. And it drops to about 20 percent if people had the option of, of, a, of a justice system where life meant life. I see. So, okay. so again, even when you take a poll like that, you're not getting the real picture. And you're getting a, 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 a myopic single question that's already predetermined the answer because of the words. And I uses. think there's, there's another answer, Ian, and that is that any politician who's ever been elected um, who is faced with this question and is looking at cases like the, the Paul Moran case or the David Milgard case or apparently the Stephen Trescott case, um, when you're actually the one who's responsible for making the decision that somebody may die and they subsequently may be proven innocent, you think again. Yeah, but when, you know, okay, when we'll say thousands upon thousands of people don't get their proper justice, and then you're talking about a few, uh, you know, a very small number of cases where injustice, there's injustice. I'm talking about people who are given a life sentence in Canada who are out in the street in a few years. I mean, it does how many, the how, many people, how many people do you think we have in jail right now who have been given a life sentence? Do you have any idea what numbers you're talking about? No, I don't. I haven't a clue. Well, it's probably about 1,200 maximum, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is, you know, a fairly large number. You say people get out. They are eligible for parole depending on the, the crime that they've committed for which they got life at 10, 15, or 25 years. But many of them still stay in jail because they're never eligible for parole. And certainly, now that we're getting an appropriate use of the dangerous offender situation, fewer and fewer of those people are ever getting out of jail. Uh, apparently, though, Marion, uh, the life sentence, for example, you're, you're still allowed the 25-year sentence if you've killed one person. You're still allowed to apply for parole after 15. That's right. And very, very few people serve the entire 25 years. Well, <laughs> that I know that's the general feeling, but when you really look at it, the numbers are, 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 are not, uh, are not as, as extreme as that. The, the, the vast majority of the people who are in are el actually eligible after 10 years, and that's because it isn't the most, the most, the most heinous crime. But there crime. was a concern about the section, There's a concern section, about Olson, section 745, yeah. the, the, what they used to call the faint hope clause. Yep. That there was, uh, if memory serves, there was upwards of 60% of those people were, were getting parole granted. Yes, and many part. of those people, the reason they were granted parole certainly was the case that the, the incident that ho had occurred was one that was... Oh. Looks like we've lost Ian there. ...was judged to be a, a situation where the person was not an, a continuing danger to, to society. It wasn't people like Clifford Olson. We hope. We hope. And we have had some bad situations. Yeah. There's no question there are mistakes made. But in general, I mean, if you talk about 60% of the people who come up, if we've only got about, and I, I think it's about 1,200, if we've only got about 1,200 in all, there's only two or three that come up every year. You'd think we were having, I mean, people get so confused with the states. Mm. 
they think there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people all over, and, and there really are relatively few. Now, this guy, Peter Kelly, for example, whose uh, appeal for a review of his, his trial and his conviction has been turned down by the justice minister, um, will come up at some point for that parole hearing of that, that faint, under that faint mm -hmm. hope. But given all the study that's been done of his case and everything, the parole board is going to have a very good body of evidence on which to make a decision about whether or not this person could be dangerous. And I would, I would say that um, although we, we certainly have, I have some questions about the qualifications of people who are appointed to parole boards and, and, and what their ongoing education is and all that sort of thing. I really do. Mm. But, um, you know, it, it isn't this wholesale letting people out of jail that uh, the proponents of the death penalty or the proponents of, um, uh, you know, slamming the door and throwing away the key would have you believe. We'll be back in just a moment with more on Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. Waiting to join us, Hi, Jim. Yeah, it's sort of a dual question. One, um, if the majority of the people in the country say, and I'll give you just a, an analogy, and then I'll just use this: seventy-five percent of the people in the country did deem or desire or vote to get rid of yellow people, right? Can't do it. And secondly, Joe Fontana runs in a in a riding against Bob. Joe gets one hundred thousand and one votes but Bob gets 100,000. Joe says he goes to Ottawa with a mandate. I mean, that's how our system works, first past the post, and I, I think that's wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't get a disagreement from any of us but here on that. My question is, how can we correct that? Give me some ideas of what, what we can do to make a workable solution other than having another election the next day or the next week. Like, wh what do we do? Well, I want to address your first uh, comment. The first question on the yellow people. The first question, that's what constitutions are for. You know, we have in this country essentially, and we maybe get an argument with this, essentially we have what you could call a constitutional dictatorship here. We elect a government for a, for a non-specific period of time, and that government is free to do pretty much anything it wants within the limits of the Constitution. And the Constitution delineates what, you know, what we supposedly as a society are prepared to accept. But my response to that, Jim, is when the Constitution was implemented, I had no vote on it, neither did you. Well, I, I won't argue that with uh, you. Also, the Constitution has exception clauses that take away all limits. And true, Alberta, true. Just, Alberta just enforced the notwithstanding clause in regards to, uh, um, they threatened to use it in regards to the latest vote in Alberta on same-sex marriages. But, so, but, but, Jim, to answer your basic question, like what are we going to do about some of these issues, I don't think that PR is going to solve the fundamental issues that governments are involved with. All it's going to do is change how we elect people. PR being proportional yeah, representation. Yeah, yeah, right. I understood that, yeah. So, so uh, all it's changing is how, we, how a person actually gets elected into Parliament once they're there. It, it's business as usual. So, but, but what we would like to see, obviously, is that the, the, the proportion of representatives in Parliament represent roughly the proportion of how people voted. I would like to see that, too. I, I think that would be a fair reflection uh, of... of our makeup here in Canada and mm -hmm. democracy. I don't think it's fair to send someone to, to Ottawa with 20,001 votes as opposed to Jim Chapman's 20,000 votes. I mean, it just doesn't cut it with me. And, Why uh, am I always the loser? Pardon me? Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. <laughs> well, I think, I think Jim, uh, you know, I think that there's a, it's a big thinking change for us in North America to look at that. 
this has been a, a very strong political movement to proportional representation in many parts of Europe. And I think that we have a lot to learn about both the, the good parts and the bad parts uh, you know of, that of various is, forms. Because we're, we're so entrenched into the two-party system right. here that we're, we fear the Italian style of government with you know, 16 mm -hmm. different parties in, in Parliament running the country. Well, and the other thing that we're into is power and control. Um, and and when you when you have a lot of uh, parties and you have proportional representation, you actually have to get together and try and work, work out things out. work things out. And we're into power and control. One guy takes the whole thing, and 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 that's a thinking change. I think there are more and more people who are willing to talk about this and to talk I about how too. to do it. And I think you know the the more pressure we can put on all levels of existing government to really to look seriously at how we can change our our model of government the better having five parties at the federal level is 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 a, is a really good move mm -hmm. uh, because the, the you know w w what's happening with the united alternative is simply trying to go back to a different kind of two-party system right. and i think we should be really worried and really resistant to that because in fact we have had more new ideas in our parliament whether we'd like them or not because we've had five parties there uh, able to ask questions and able to put forward their viewpoints. But if we had had PR in the last five, I guess not the last 30 years, last 40 years, our whole climate here, politically and socially and economically, would be totally different. Oh, and definitely it would, both at the federal and the provincial level. Yeah. At the provincial level, I mean, we would never have had a majority government, no. but we certainly would have had more influence over the, the way in which uh, policies are formed than, than we have had as, as the recognized third party. But, but it still doesn't resolve the fundamental issues. For example, you have two people. One person wants to send their child to a private school. The other one likes the public school system. The democratic system will never allow these two positions to be reconciled. It's always going to be one or the other. Whereas freedom allows each person to have their choice and to do it the way they want to do it. People can yeah. send their children to private school. Bob. People can vote for freedom, Bob. Um, yeah, they can. I'll, I'll listen to you guys. Okay, thanks, thanks Jim. Thanks for the response. Yeah. They, they can vote for, for Freedom Party if we ever got big enough and were allowed into the political arena. I didn't arena say for way. Freedom Party. They but could vote for freedom if any of the parties felt that that was a... Uh, that was something that was going to resound with the majority of the uh, uh, of the voters. Well, that's what the majority of voters seem to want, but never, they won't get it through but the political that, system. That's, that's not that's not backed up at all, Bob, by the by the the regular polling that's done. People expect their governments to be socially active. They expect their governments to be a a major player in terms of balancing out the rewards of the economy for people. I mean, even in, in the, the, the Well, liberals and NDPers expect that. I wouldn't say that of a lot of the conservatives I know. I wouldn't say it of any Freedom Party supporter or libertarian. I'm talking of the voters. Well, that's fine, but again, it's back to the majority ruling. Major, the majority telling me I've got to send my tax dollars to, to a public school or a government-run school, which is the correct term. Um, I, if I would rather, even if they force me to pay for uh, schooling, I'd rather have a choice of where that money goes. But I don't even get that. So how do I get value out of my school system? How does that school system respond? Well, don't to you? Me? Doesn't that go back to what Marion said earlier? You get out there and try to convince as many people as you can that that. Uh, can to, you to, imagine to join if you? you had to go out and run an election every time you wanted a steak because most people were eating hamburger helpers? Well, that's Come not what on. you're talking about. Though. Education is the same thing. It's a it's a service. It should be openly and freely provided to anyone by anyone who wants well, to. Well, obviously, a majority a majority of people out there don't agree no, with you. Either that or they're uninformed about it. They're uninformed about it because they so they have belief. 
politicians who said they can provide these services for free without cost. No politician has ever said that except you. No. I have never heard a politician talk about education or health care being free. And in fact, I, I said without know, cost to the to the user. It's not free to, in taxes. Never was, and that's never. Assumed. It is a cost to the but user. The user is paying in a different way. That's all. Not at all. The user's paying for maybe he's paying for something he's using. But look at all the people who never go to a to a healthcare specialist. They're and, paying and, too. And the it's next day they need basis. it. Well, then on the next day, that's when they should pay. Uh, if should, they happen to have the money the next day. Well, that's I mean, their that's, that's responsibility. That's a whole other issue. If you're poor, it's your responsibility. If you're poor your or rich, it's your responsibility. And if you can't help, then, then you know, I always have always said government should be the last resort of social help, not the first. And you and, and the first should be the user. You have turned it right around. You say the government should be completely the, no, the, the supporter and the user shouldn't even be allowed to pay, let alone people going around the system or into another system. And, and you know... The only way to get around these big bureaucratic systems is not to dismantle them and to get rid of them. It's just to allow choice and let people to avoid them. They will fall under their own weight. And, well, the, and the truth of that is in the fact that we aren't allowed choice, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is that given our choice, regardless of what we say politically, people say things politically they would never do in their personal lives. And I, I've seen that a million times. Well, we should spend money on this. Well, you ready to cough up some money? No. No way. Not unless they know their neighbor's going to be forced, and the next guy's going to be forced, and the next guy's going to be forced. And everybody adopts this mentality so that the whole society eventually devours itself. We have a 50% uh, tax rate. We have exorbitant debts that, that will come home to roost. I mean, these things haven't gone away yet. And and there's just no end to that kind of a no, government. That's democracy at work. We're going to have a 17% tax rate when Stockwell's the prime minister. Didn't you hear that? Mm. Marion and Robert, thank you both of you for thank being you. here. Marion, you'll be away for a few weeks, but yes, we'll look, look forward to having you back as soon as you good. can rejoin we'll, us. We'll make sure there's a good variety of leftists here to represent <laughs> our point of view. We'll look forward to that. No shortage of them, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks, to this edition of Left, Right, and Center. Stay with us. Ask the experts up next with Chris Cahill from Financial Strategies Group.